you all, uh, the Old Testament and New Testament, share a similar theme and a similar problem, and that's the issue of selfish ambition. Uh, in the Old Testament passage, you've got the younger son, Jacob, who steals the birthright, the blessing that belongs to the oldest son, out of selfish ambition. And in the church in Philippi, you've got a conflict between two leaders, uh, a woman named Euodia and another named Syntyche, and between the people in the church that were taking sides against one another, again from selfish ambition. Now, I want to make clear right away that the problem is not ambition. Ambition itself simply is that desire in us to succeed. And without ambition, there are a whole lot of good things in this world that would just never get done. So ambition is not the problem. The problem is selfish ambition. The problem is me, I, wanting what I want at the expense or ignoring the needs of others. In fact, this Greek word that's translated in this text Selfish ambition could also be translated rivalry. You know, where one person is going to win and everybody else is going to lose. And wherever there is a rivalry like that, there are always surprising things that happen and people always get hurt. So I heard this story about a woman who was older and who was blind and she had three sons and each of them wanted to be the very best son. So they had a little rivalry going on. And one son thought he would get ahead, so he bought his mom a 15-room mansion. And he thought he was going to be number one. The second son tried to get ahead, but he bought his mom a Rolls Royce and a chauffeur to go with him. He wanted to be number one. And the, the, the youngest son bought his mother a parrot. This parrot had been trained for 15 years to memorize the Bible and could actually quote any Bible verse uh, that you happen to mention. So the, the older lady, well, she, she thought about the mansion and she, she finally just said to her son, she said, look, she said, I, I, I don't see very well. I basically live in one room. There's no way I can clean everything in a 15-room mansion. You just, just give it back. And uh, she went to the second son. She said, well, uh, you know, I don't go anywhere anymore. And besides, I really don't like the chauffeur. So just, you know, just take it back. And he did. He went, she went to the, to the third son. She said, honey, I want you to know that that was the kindest, best gift that, that anybody has given me in a really long time. That chicken was absolutely delicious. <laughs> little bit of surprise there. <laughs> Probably a little bit of hurt feelings. Gosh, that, that's certainly what was happening with Jacob and Esau, wasn't it? I mean, whether Jacob intended it or not, it, it was a truly hurtful experience. And Esau, when he finds out what happens, is so angry, he is so bitter that he literally wants to kill his brother. And so Jacob has to flee and, and goes away to live with the Uncle Laban where he stays and these two brothers do not speak. They do not interact. They're not anywhere near one another for over 20 years. Now that sounds like a crazy thing, but let me tell you, we all know family situations, 
We know community situations where it's just like that. I know a family where siblings haven't spoken to one another in years. And in the church in Philippi. Now you've actually got two really wonderful leaders in this church. Paul says they are fellow, uh, fellow workers in the kingdom. Euodia and Syntyche. He obviously cares for these ladies deeply, but something has happened and these two leaders cannot get along and they are at loggerheads and their conflict is creating such dissension that there's a sense that the church might divide. So the Apostle Paul writes to them and in this passage, basically what Paul says is, listen friends, you got to have a new attitude. you got to have a new attitude. Here's what he says. Your attitude but should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Now what he's saying to the Philippians, we could have said to Jacob and Esau, and you and I need to hear as well, don't we? For we, we live in a time that's often divided, a time where there's conflict and division in families and marriages and in churches and communities in our world. We, we need to hear the word that God has for us here. So Paul says, have a new attitude. So what's, what's the character of this new attitude? Here's what Paul says. And what he's doing is he's quoting, he's quoting an ancient Christian hymn. In fact, maybe the earliest hymn that we know Christians actually sing. You know how, how we sing by heart hymns like How Great Thou Art, or I'll Fly Away, or you know, victory in Jesus, songs like that that are by heart. This was a song that these Christians knew by heart. And so what Paul does is quote this hymn as a way to say, here's how we're called to live. So what's this new attitude? Let's read a little bit of it. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Okay, so that's the first part of this new attitude. It's not grasping. It's letting go of ourselves. It's giving up. I was trying to think about what I could say to sort of illustrate this not grasping approach or what grasping really is like. And I happen to think about uh, kids in my house on Halloween. You guys... Uh, you guys have a big Halloween deal here in your area. Do you have a lot of, a lot of kids? I don't know. I've been in different places, and sometimes there are a lot of children in the neighborhood. Sometimes there's nobody. Where we are right now in Chattanooga, we have kids I mean, coming, you know, coming out to Wazoo. There are so many kids. One of our neighbors counted 150 children came trick-or-treating at their house on Halloween. So you have to have, you know, you have to dig into your savings to be able to afford the candy. For all these children. And what we say to them when we come, because we love it. We love it coming to the house. We have this big bowl. We say, well, we'll just take a couple of pieces so there'll be something for everybody else. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so there was this little girl dressed up like Snow White. Just so cute. You know, just so cute. And she had with her the seven henchmen. I call them henchmen, not dwarves. Because when they all got around the bowl, 
we set our little speech, and everybody just take a couple of pieces of candy and leave something for everybody else. And the little girl, she was so sweet, she took a piece, a couple of pieces of candy. She was doing exactly what we, we wanted her to. And then I don't know what happened. Maybe she dropped candy. And as I thought about this, she might have actually dropped it on purpose. But I got distracted and turned away. And when I did, all those little boys stuck their palms in and grabbed fistfuls of candy and skedaddled before I could get a hold of them. That's grasping. That's what grasping is. It's, it's taking for ourselves at the expense of somebody else. And what Paul is saying here is that when we're into selfish ambition, that's what we're about. But Jesus invites us into a new attitude. Jesus does the opposite of that. We see Jesus, the Son of God, with God in heaven, and giving that up in a downward movement that has successive stages to it. So he didn't grasp. He made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, being made in the likeness of a human being. And being found in the appearance of humanity, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Henry Nouwen, the spiritual writer in his book, The Selfless Way of Jesus Christ, describes this downward movement of Jesus, this willingness of Jesus to open his hand and to open his life and to let go of himself. He describes it like this. He says, he was king of kings and lord of lords, Yet he let go of his power and position and status as son of God and literally climbed down the social ladder, climbed down the status ladder, climbed down the power ladder to become servant of all. And so the first aspect of this new attitude is that, is that letting go of ourselves, letting go of, of what we want, of getting our way, of having to have things go exactly like we see it. And then the second part of the attitude is actually holding on. Because while Jesus lets go of himself, he does hold on to something else. What does he hold on to? He holds on to God, to being obedient to God. And he holds on to us. From the perspective of heaven, the Son of God looked into our world and he saw the miserable state humanity was in. He saw our sins. He saw our diseases. He saw the injustice of this world. He saw the hatreds. He saw the violence. He saw just the simple unkindnesses, the way we treat one another. And he came into this world for one purpose. He let go of himself for one purpose, to help and to heal and to save us. And then in the most incredible act of love that's ever happened, he sacrificed his life to cover our sin. And by his resurrection, he now pours out the Holy Spirit so that we can begin to live life in a new way, in the selfless way he lived. So Jesus was ambitious. He just wasn't ambitious for himself. He was ambitious for God. God's purpose. He was ambitious for you and for me because he loved us. 
And this is the attitude that Paul is inviting us here. And here's what he says. He says, each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, when we find ourselves in a time where we're conflicted with others, when we find ourselves when we can't seem to agree, pray and ask God to help us calm down enough to be quiet enough to actually listen, to hear what another has to say, to actually hear another perspective. Boy, that is just, that is so hard to do, especially when we get to talking about political stuff, isn't it? It's, it's almost impossible to do that. You know, a few years ago, I, I had a good elder, an elder that I truly loved and respected, who came to me to express some concern about a particular ministry in the church. And he had an idea about how this ministry should be going, and I had an idea about how this ministry was going. And, and, and we, we had very different ideas about things. And he, he wanted to hold on to his idea, and I wanted to hold on to my idea. And we were just... We were just like this, and it was just so hard. It was hard for me to say, I need to listen to him. I, I need to be a, a friend to him enough to hear what he has to say because maybe his idea might be a little better than mine. It's just so hard to do that, isn't it? I mean, you know what I mean. So the issue is, how do we? I mean, if there's going to be any hope in this world, how are we going to do this? This is what Paul says. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, he's holding Jesus up as an example and saying, well, you see Jesus' example, do what he did. And I do think that that's helpful to try to imitate in our lives what we see in Jesus' life. But the Overvised Standard Version actually translates this verse in a little different way, and I like it better. It says... Have uh, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Right, let me say that one more time. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I mean, do you, do you hear what it's saying? It's saying that the selfless way of Jesus Christ, which is the mind of Jesus, that, that we already have that. It's already ours. It's yours. In Christ Jesus. And what we have to do is just simply put it into practice. It's like, you know, it's like when you've got a talent. And God has given it to you. It's in you. But you just never used it. You know, it's, it's like, like maybe you have an ability to sing that God has given you. Or an ability to play a musical instrument. It's only when you actually practice it that it has any real joy and meaning to it. That's what Paul is suggesting here, that the selflessness that is the way of Jesus Christ, the giving up of ourselves, the really concern for others, is actually in each of us because we have experienced that in Jesus Christ ourselves. Think about this. You are indeed a good, whole, special, unique creation of God. You as an individual. Me as an individual. But the truth is that you and I have sinned. You and I have broken relationship with God. We've broken relationship with one another. We have hurt. 
by our words and by our actions of others in our lives. And in honest truth, we know that. But here's what we also know. That there is a God who has loved us and a God who has forgiven us and a God who has come to be with us through Jesus Christ and who by, by whose death and resurrection has made us able to be new people and to be a part of the new creation, the, the newness that God is making in the world in which we live. We have received this most incredible gift. It's inside of us. And all Paul is saying is, it's inside of you right now. Just let it shine through. Just live it in your relationship with others. When you find yourself in conflict, when you find yourself in disagreement, when you find yourself wanting to blast those other people, pull back, turn to God, ask for God's help, let go of some of what you think is so important enough so that you can listen. And be open to the needs and concerns and hopes and dreams of others. And to the people of the church in Philippi, he says that's how you heal the church. That's how you heal one another. So there's a, a great Jewish story about two Jewish brothers. One married, one single. Really hard times they're going through and the single brother's worried about the married brother because it was a time of scarcity in food. He says, I only have myself to care for, but my older brother who has a wife, he has children, he has all these people to feed in his house. He said, what can I do to help him? He said, oh, I know what I can do. I can take some of the food that's in my barn and I'll take it over so he doesn't know it and I'll put it in his barn and then he'll always have food for his family and his kids. And so every night, he begins taking a little bit of his grain to the barn of his brother. But the married brother is thinking about the single brother. And the married brother thinks, well, you know, times are so hard. It's a good thing. I've got a wife. I've got children who are there to support me. I've got family to be with me. He said, but my, mother, my single uh, brother, he, he doesn't have anybody with him. What can I do? He says, oh, I know what I can do. I can take some of the grain that is in my barn and I'll take it over to the barn of my brother so that he will always have food to share and he'll have lots of friends who will come eat and celebrate and enjoy life with him. And so at night, that is what he started doing. And so one brother is taking grain from one barn and putting it in the brother's barn and the other brother is bringing grain and putting it back in the other barn. And it goes like this for several days. And then one day... They happen to meet between the barns, right in the center, and grain is in hand, and they realize what they've been doing. And the story is that they embrace in love. And the legend goes that this is the place where the first Jewish temple was actually built, on the ground of sacrifice and selflessness and love. Well, in a much more profound way, Friends, our lives, the joy we have, the hope we have, the life we have, is built on the ground of Jesus Christ, self-giving, his sacrifice, and his love for us. And knowing that and being filled up with that, 
What he asks is that we simply share that with others, that we share it in our marriages and our partnerships, that we share it with our friends, that we share it in the church and the community, even in our nation. And he says that's how the world is healed. That's how life is made whole. And for the Philippian church, this is how you guys escape big trouble. We have a choice. Selfish ambition over here. Selfless giving over here. Jesus shows us the way to live. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.